Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and raining things on a, well, now Monday afternoon, I suppose. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Jared. How are, how are you today? Did you have a solid weekend where you didn't have to work? I did have a solid weekend where I didn't have to work, watch some football, and uh, just hung out, you know? Vikings got absolutely handed. Yeah, I didn't get to watch. We didn't get it here. We're not in the that coverage was, area. I didn't get to, I didn't get to watch it either, but just like checking through the stat line and you're like, Oh sweet Moses. Yeah. The Vikings suck. They suck. I was playing the Colts defense in fantasy. Like the, my opponent had the Colts yeah. um, and just looking at like they had, what was it? Interception or what, Three interceptions. interceptions, uh, a safety, like fumble recovery. And you're like, Holy hell. How does yeah, they, that, the Vikings have had it? Vikings have had a safety in three straight games. Kirk Cousins, man. Definitely worth that big contract. Definitely get rid of Case Keenum. And the running back that they just gave a big contract to as well when they don't have an offensive line. For sure worth it. Or sure. a defensive line anymore because everybody's either hurt or opted out. But in, a good, in, the, in good news for your fandom, Kansas City won again. They did win again. That was a good football game. I didn't think they were going to win there for a little bit, but uh, I mean that I was talking to my, my dad about it. That's like the difference between a, a championship team and one that is just like a normal team it's where good. they, yeah, they, you can just tell that now they've got that championship swagger to them mm-hmm. where like, no matter what happens, they, they're just going to keep playing, keep right. going. And like the, you know, because it was a Romo game, like it, just any Tony Romo game is worth watching. Uh, when it was fourth and one, I think from like the minus 40 or something like that. Um, I think it was in overtime. Yeah, it was in overtime. It was the, it was like fourth and one from the minus 40 in overtime. Romo was like, I'd go for this. Cause you're just going to give the ball back to Pat Mahomes. You're going to give it back to the chiefs offense. Doesn't matter where they start from. You haven't been able to stop them in a quarter and a half. And so it's one of those things like it, what it reminded me of is like, I think he's kind of, you know, the, the chiefs offense has reached the, what is it, 2006 or whatever, the Colts won the, or the Colts won the Super Bowl, and then when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, it was that, like, you have reached that level of offense with, you know, that Peyton Manning offense where it's like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, you're going to give it to them on the 10, you're going to give it to them on the minus 5, the plus 40 or whatever, they're going to go score, and, like, you have to take that into consideration. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, the, the new era, and I was actually thinking about this the other day, um, so I'm enjoying watching the NFL equally as much as I'm enjoying watching college almost a little bit more because I think the transition, so like the NFL just moves a lot slower in like um, style of play and um, you know, the, the attitudes of the NFL or whatever. And what I enjoyed about college is it turns over way faster. Cause you know, there's more teams that you have to like, you know, if you're going to be, you know, fill in the blank Houston back when, uh, you know, back before we knew Art Bryles was crazy. Um, the Houston teams back then are like, if you're going to win, you have to do things differently. And then you just kind of adapt from there. Well, the NFL, I think is officially turned over into a new generation. Like you look at the best players in the league, who are the best players in the league? It's Pat Mahomes. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Russell Wilson. It's, um, uh, the like Aaron Rodgers is still there, but like Aaron Jones, like the way that they're playing now is this wide open, almost college style game 
where you have these guys that are doing these crazy, ridiculous things that it's no longer, you know, Ben Roethlisberger standing in the pocket and just slinging it around 35 times, but giving it to the, you know, it, it's just that the style of play is different. And I think the NFL has finally officially like turned over to the younger generation. It's like the baton is officially passed at this point. So I think the NFL is really fun because yeah, your, your best players are all 31 years old or younger. Mm-hmm. And it's all guys that came from the generation of, you know, the, the wide open football. So I think it's just really, the NFL is now caught up to where the, where college football was in like 2014. Just need to stop people from getting hurt so much. Well, and I, that's, that's tough, especially because of, you know, this year is going to be, I would imagine abnormally high because you haven't had as much, um, you haven't had as much time to, acclimate your body to the speed and violence of the change of direction that happens. So not necessarily even like hitting change of direction, but like you're a defensive end, you know, like Bosa, you go to make a move on someone and the amount of speed you have to carry into like trying to set someone up to move. And all of a sudden your body isn't used to it. So this year, because of the weird training camp, I think is going to be probably more injury prone than others. So Tough break for fantasy owners everywhere when Saquon Barkley, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and uh, basically everyone from the 49ers gets hurt like on the same week. Yeah, that's – man, San Francisco, I thought that they were like immune to that because I don't remember how many in a row. But like if you look at the teams that lost the Super Bowl, what they did the following year – that I thought they were immune to that because of the way they played, but I think it, the the immune style of play they play is true, but the injury bug is hard and heavy in that that organization, which is I don't you can't control that. It's just apparently there's something up with the turf at that stadium in the Meadowlands. That's what they. I mean, they were all like tweeting at the NFL about how uh, how they need to fix the field. Like I don't what, know what, what the problem could be. Like but what, is the, yeah, what is the problem? I don't know. There's probably, there might be something. I don't know. Whatever. It's say. probably like Northwestern where the, where you're basically playing <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's eight inches long. Right. You're playing in like uh basically like a hay field. With just rubber pellets, a hay field with rubber pellets. Right. Right. For sure. All right. Let's turn our attention to Iowa state. Uh, Matt Campbell talked on the big 12 teleconference about an hour ago now. Uh, nothing too incredibly notable. Sounds like Charlie Kohler, uh, Trevor Downing, and Rob Hudson remain day-to-day, which could mean anything when you think about the way that Matt Campbell uh, usually describes injuries. Campbell, it means- comes from, Campbell comes from the Belichick school of thought, which is you're only gonna, I'm only going to tell you what I want you to know, like, and that's nothing. And if yeah. I tell you what I want you to know and you want to read into it, that's on you. But I'm not going to give you more than – what's minimally required to talk about. Right. But there was one slight bomb dropped. I would guess you could say in, uh, during Gary Patterson's, uh, time, which was right after Matt Campbell. sounds like Max Duggan will be available for the Horn Frogs on Saturday. Oh, so what was, didn't he have like a heart condition? Yeah. That... He was get, I, basically they said he was going to be out for the season. Now he's been with the team for two weeks. I wonder what, I'm, I have no concept of what the regulations are or what the heart condition is or what the risks are, but I wonder what changed between a few weeks ago and now, you know, if it's, if it is something that like, Hey, well, we've now addressed it. We've got enough information on, you know, heart rhythms or we have a monitor or whatever, or something like that. If it's, if it's, 
productive or if they just said like, you know what, you're willing to take the risk, go for it. Like, I'm just curious what the, um, what, what changed in the past couple weeks, but good for him. I mean, I think as yes, you want to play a team to win, but I would, as a, as a person who is super competitive, I don't want to beat someone in a foot race when they have a sprained ankle. I want to beat them in a race when they're at full strength. So I think, I mean, Duggan's a pretty darn good quarterback and he's from Iowa. So good for him that he can actually play, assuming that he's able to play safely. Yeah. And, and Gary Patterson is very similar to Matt Campbell in the sense that, I mean, who knows really what, uh, what, like how available Max Duggan will be. He maybe is with the team, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe he's going through some really light, like non-contact stuff, but who knows if he's actually going to be available, available to be the starter or something like that. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it could be possible, but it wouldn't shock me at all either. If it's that Matthew Downing that ends up being their starting quarterback and maybe Max Duggan is available in like a super emergency type situation, which I wouldn't think you would get into in game number one. Right. If you yeah, have, it's week number seven, that's, that's the case. So for those who are kind of preparing, cause you know, now that the bye week's over, it's actually like prepare for a team um, from a, what should we be watching standpoint? What players do they have returning? Cause last year TCU in the past four years has been um, kind of defined by speed everywhere with the guys like Jalen Rager. Um, I forget the guys who is uh, Dodds or Dodson um, that was drafted by the Redskins, Josh Dodson, the artist formerly known as the Redskins. He was drafted by the Washington Redskins. Now so the Washington, Washington football team. team. Um, but that was defined by speed at the wide receiver positions. And then you have um, a quarterback that's athletic and can run around and then is going to take these huge shots to try and get these big chunks, chunk plays. And then defensively, uh, defensively, they're always solid with, they play that four, two, five, which is a really aggressive defensive line. They're going to play these mixed coverages and they're fine matching man. So like what player wise, do they have coming back to kind of accommodate that style of play or what should we be looking for? Yeah, I'm pulling up my, uh, I've got a, I've got a book here. That's got all this stuff in it. What I do know, what I do know is that TCU probably um, has the best defensive back in the conference. It's their um, strong safety. I believe is one of their two safeties, but he's one of the best, one of, if not the best defensive back in the conference, which depending on how they decide to play him, is going to be kind of Iowa State had a lot to address in the offseason or in, in this bye week. If they did not address it, TCU secondary led by, and I forget the guy's name, um, TCU with a solid secondary being able to play and comfortably pay man, Iowa State has a lot to address before they get to Saturday. If they did address it, they're fine. If they haven't addressed it yet, it could be long. Yeah, okay, I've got it. All right, I've got it here. Um, where's the returning starters? Okay, apparently that's – I can't find it. Uh, but, no, I mean, I think defensively they bring back uh, a handful of guys in the secondary. Um, here's where uh, Trevor Morig uh, or Trevon Morig, uh, or Darius Washington, those are the two safeties. Uh, this says that they'll probably be two of the best safeties in the country. And then um, it looks like the defensive line lost a couple guys. Ochan Mathis is back. I think he was maybe the big 12 preseason player of the year. Uh, 
Terrell Cooper, Corey Bethley, and Parker Workman. So I think that those guys have all played before, but it sounds like the depth is a little bit um, uncertain. And then Garrett Wallow uh, led the Big 12 in tackles last year, so he'll be back as well. So I would imagine that that defense is going to be really good, which is no surprise considering what we know about TCU already. Uh, so Morig is currently the 27th, according to CBS Sports, 27th overall prospect for the 2021 draft. Okay. So currently top top three defensive backs. Let's see who's in there. Top, let's call it top five. Top five defensive backs in the country. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that hit, their defense is going to be good. I mean, the thing that's tough about them, we don't – they haven't played yet. <laughs> you know, like it's hard to uh, – know too incredibly much about what they're they're going to bring to the table just because they haven't played but uh the other thing uh, when you look at their offense a guy i mean they bring back a, a couple receivers um jalen Rager is gone but tay barber uh came on kind of at the end of last season and then um they just added uh jd spielman who broke records at nebraska and now transferred to TCU. And I would imagine that he will be someone to keep an eye on as well. Uh, he, he will be eligible immediately. So it's, yeah, I, I, I just didn't know if there's anything that is different about them than last year, other than the fact that Jalen Rager's not there, but they probably don't really think there is. I mean, I think they, that they, they lost people on offensive line though. Yeah. They press it. They, they put everything on speed, um, which, to me is actually okay if you're Iowa State um, because speed requires timing. If you're going that fast, I mean, granted, there are certain times if you're just going to, all right, we're going to run, a, we're gonna run a, a seam route and I'm just going to throw it as far as I can. A lot of that time, all that stuff, you can just kind of make up on the fly. But a lot of the speed stuff, the you know, drag routes, dig routes, stuff like that, that, it requires getting on the same page with so you can actually access that kind of big play stuff and like mm -hmm. you mentioned they haven't played before like that is i think that's an interesting nugget because we saw how iowa state played in game one versus seeing how everything happens in game two and if you look at any other team there's a huge jump between week zero and week one usually by the time you've gotten to the big 12 you've had three weeks of kind of kicking around finding the problems like you i would be gobsmacked if Iowa State special teams aren't five times better in week in game two than they were in game one just because you are able to identify like okay we haven't spent a ton of time on you know what call it route timing on digs or something like that and then you have it in a game and you're like wow this was bad we need to spend more time on this thing so you illuminate the problems so special teams is very clearly a problem for Iowa State. So I bet they spent a fair amount of time, whether maybe they tossed out some people or restructured starting lineups or just spent more drill time actually working on it. But Iowa State was able to have that. You don't know what you don't know till you know it. And they were able to find out what, what, what went wrong. Now, uh, correcting that is another aspect of coaching that generally Iowa State's done pretty well. But um, TCU hasn't even had the chance to find out what they don't know yet. So they could have everything ironed out, sure. Uh, but I'm going to guess that they're going to have a lot of really rough things. And Iowa State, having already played a game, um, makes gives them a significant advantage. However, again, TCU, because of their speed, they may be able to just like take this big, you know, take a couple big shots and get away with it. But I don't know. This this game is very 
nebulous for me. Like what actually is going to happen because of experience, how Iowa State looked in week one and TCU not playing yet. Yeah, and I think that um, just when you look at uh, the fact that you've got Gary Patterson who has um, been there for a long time, so they kind of have a, an ingrained culture already. you got a bunch of returners, you mm-hmm. know. Like I I don't imagine that they – or I don't feel like they're, they've got too steep of a hill to climb. Plus, when you consider the fact that they had to have one game canceled and then they couldn't get it rescheduled for this past week, so they haven't they, – Iowa State played two weeks ago. They basically just had two more weeks of fall camp. So I would think that that will be to some level an advantage as well. Of having two extra weeks of fall camp? Yes. Yes and no. So, like, you can have two extra weeks of fall camp, but, um, you know, imagine, let's say you're a salesperson and you have a a sales pitch that you think is going to work when you go and deal with a client. And you go into this sales pitch with a client and you're like, all right, I'm going to highlight – this feature, this feature, and this feature. And I'm going to get really good at these things because you know, it. like preparing, these are the things that generally speaking on your research that you've done ahead of time on uh, all the things that you've asked, looked at and, and kind of about that client and your past experience. And all of a sudden they get in there and like three minutes into your presentation, they hit you with like a total haymaker, like sidewinder of a question of like, hey, we, uh, we didn't do you know, we haven't ever used this product before, but we have used this thing that you hadn't heard of before. And you get totally sent on your ass because even all the preparation you did until you actually get into that live environment, you don't know what another thing is going to know what someone else is going to react and what pressure they're going to put back on you. So when it, with a team, you can do all the prep you want, but you cannot identify the things that you're lacking until they get pointed out to you. So that's like with Iowa state, I think that's part of the reason, like with having kind of, uh, not to say reminisced, but like ruminated on Iowa State's play on last Saturday. We talked about it in the podcast last week that Matt Campbell plays a ton of guys like in the, in the first half of the season and specifically in the non-conference, they play 40 dudes on defense, you know, like some enormously high number of guys to get reps because he wants to see pressure put back in them. I also wonder if there are certain things in September that they're going to try to see if it works, like literally just to throw shit against the wall and see if it sticks. And if they can, if it doesn't, then they can know, okay, we tried to run a concept that, you know, I don't know, call it a dig post over, you know, which is a really simple concept. Like that one always works. But for example, like dig post over guy runs deep guy runs kind of a 10 yard across a guy runs at a five yard across. When we do this out of a certain front, if, call it chase is at the one that's running the dig. He can't get there on time. So we ran this route to see if he could get there, like specifically trying to push up a thing that they've not done to be like, all right, at chase Allen as our tight end, as a number two receiver is going to run a 12 yard dig. We normally don't do this. We have this route concept that works, but it's based on timing. All right, let's see if we can get it to get it done. And it doesn't happen. Play falls apart. Brock has to throw something out of bounds or like force it to somebody because they were running, potentially running a bunch of different stuff that they normally wouldn't have seen because in practice, it's fine. It's seven on seven quarterbacks aren't, isn't getting hit. He can hold the ball a little bit longer if he wants to, whatever. And I think, and and as, as the September struggles exist, I would imagine that Campbell looks at these games and says, all right, we're going to try but I also, this is the only environment that is low enough risk that we can try these different sets to see if they work, to see how, you know, in that example, 
to control some variables and experiment with this one thing. So like, I wonder if they go into their planning sessions and they'll talk with the offensive staff of being like, all right, uh, what do we want to see if we can make work? Well, let's see if we can get, you know, Xavier Hutchinson on one side and then motion Tariq Milton to that side. And if we can get him to pass off on something and we can maybe, you know, whatever, like see what type of setup they can get. And then they get certain situations are like, Hey, it's second and seven. Let's try that, you know, play X, Y, Z that we talked about. All right, cool. Go for it. And then I wonder if I would imagine that that's a lot of the way they work in these early season games, which makes it seem like you, they don't know what they're doing. You know, it makes it seem like, why would you call this at that time? Because I think a lot of it is throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks at the same time, the players, they sort of expect to have less of an experimental guide than they're taking. So like the players should be executing at a higher rate, but there are certain times when they're going to roll the dice and see if it works. Um, so with, to bring it back to TCU, maybe Gary Patterson is much less of a gambler in that sense and wants to just, we're only going to run what we have already practiced so far because we know that it works and we're not going to really try anything new. We'll keep the playbook simpler. And then we're going to run the, this set group of 15 plays. And then in week two, we've had enough time to practice five more and we're going to run 15 plays. And then we're going to run five more and the next week and run 20 plays where Campbell is going to be like, all right, we're going to run 30 plays week one, knowing that five of them are probably not going to work. And then in week two, we're only going to run 25, you know, like it's a different way of looking at things. And I don't know if Patterson is core fundamentals and then build on top of that or see what works and pare it down. So I'm going to, you know, that's why I said it's pretty nebulous of what you're looking at with this game, because do they have, how does TCU generally come out? Do they come out practicing stuff they know, or do they come out seeing what they can do with a different group of people? So I don't know. I'm curious a lot to see the offensive TCU. I think their defense, generally speaking, is the same. Like they don't, Gary Patterson reminds me a lot of the Iowa Hawkeyes. The TCU reminds me a lot of the Iowa Hawkeyes where um, they recruit to a style and they make everyone fit that style. Like they're at this point, he's been doing it long enough to know like, all right, we lose a defensive end that is a, they usually, they're leaner guys. They're like, usually not like, they're not 270 pound defensive ends. They're like 240, 230, but they're really athletic. They're really good pass rushers and they're going to let their safeties play a lot of run support. Okay. Well, I don't need, you know, Adrian Claiborne to be a 285 pound defensive end. We need these really fast guys. So they're going to recruit and find a really fast pass rusher to fill that spot. So the defense isn't going to turn over a lot. The offense, I'm just, just curious to see what they're going to do. Before we move on real quick, I need to give a quick shout out to our friends at Authentic Brand. Authentic Brand is more than just your source for Cyclone gear. With an amazing team of designers, Authentic Brand can custom manufacture polo shirts, jackets, caps, and bags, and beyond for your team or small business. Check them out online at authentic-brand.com. Look authentic, feel authentic, be authentic. I think something else that a lot of other, a lot of people probably will be wondering about going into this game, and that's just because of the way that Brock played uh, in the season opener. What do you imagine that the bye week was like for Brock Purdy, and what do you expect to see from him this week? I bet he spent a fair amount of time in the building, but I think that's. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see how he would have handled that going, um, going outside of himself, in the sense that. I bet what he did is recognizing all of the mistakes that he made, the things that he did not do correctly. But beyond things that he didn't do correctly, 
there are also things that his receivers didn't do correctly that he wanted them to do. So as a quarterback, you have this unique position that um, as a running back, I know what I want and I know what it feels like when I'm doing mine correctly. But a lot of times you can't fix what the offensive line is doing um, or not. You can't recommend a change to what the offensive line is doing based on running back because you got to react to what they see. As a quarterback, though, you're dictating. You're not reacting. You're dictating what happens. And um, because of that, so there are certain throws. I bet he, you know, watched a lot of film and watched a lot of and done, did a lot of individual drills to kind of correct footwork or, t or his, like, shoulder mechanics or throwing mechanics or stuff like that to kind of make throws better and understand where the reads were. But there's also things that he's going to see when he looks at, you know, Xavier Hutchinson and says, hey, this needs to be at 12 yards. Like, point blank period, you got to get to 12 or something like that. And I'm curious to see if he would have done that. Cause I know like as with a guy as competitive and as high level as Brock is, he was, he is going to spend a, a, a lot of time correcting his own screw ups. You know, if he was, if, if there was, let's say there was consistently a mechanical thing, I don't know if there was, but like consistently a mechanical thing that like his hip was opening, which made the ball float or something like that. He would practice drilling that down. So it doesn't happen. I would hope at this point, though, with it going into his third year of, you know, being kind of the guy that he would take the receivers and at different times be like, all right, you know, hey, Shaw, you, I need, I'm going to try and put this up in the corner. I need you to get to 11 yards and I'm going to put it up in the corner. And so then just working with guys on what he wants to see. So for Brock, I would imagine he spent a lot of time uh, early in the week assessing all the things that he did wrong. What was it technical or whether it's reading wrong or whether it's timing wrong and then going, okay, here's the things that I need to fix. But at the same time, here's the things that I did right that I need you to do in order for this to work. Like take Tom Brady, for example, week one for Tampa Bay, it was pretty bad. Like they, it, yeah, let's call it okay. It was serviceable, but okay. Um, but a lot of what he wanted wasn't communicated to his receivers. Then you look at it this week, like I, don't, I didn't watch the actual game itself, but you watch a lot of the highlights that he had with Mike Evans, where there is a a dig route that that he drilled Evans right on right on time and let him run up the sideline and then a double move that he made a I mean if you want to watch highlight tape on a back shoulder throw that highlight tape back shoulder throw he showed Evans and then instantly as soon as Evans scored he turned around and pointed to to Brady and be like that you know essentially like bro that is what I needed and so him after week 1 Brady after week 1 looking with Mike Evans saying all right Here's the stuff that I screwed up, but I need you to be right here at this time so I can do, so I can put the ball where you can only get it. So I'm hoping that Brock did that as well as identify his own stuff is working with his guys to say like, here, the things that he wants to feel and the times that he wants to see. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to hypothesize that he did a, a little bit more of that than he has in the past because it's a relatively new group. How much of an impact do you think he could make when especially like in the trenches when you have one team that has played and been at that full game speed. And like, I'm sure TCU has been hitting in practice, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's different once the lights turn on and it's, it's game time. Very how different. much, how much of a difference do you think that that can be for Iowa state? I think in, in, in the defensive line and then on the offensive line for both, both sides. It matters more in the first half than the second. Um, because in the second half, you've already have a full half of action. You get into the locker room, readjust and, and, you know, be like, Hey, you see what this feels like now. You got to get moving. Well, in the first half, if you can, um, if you can establish what you're doing 
and move the ball as a running back or as an offense, move the ball down the field and essentially take the fight to TCU. You've put yourself in a position where um, ideally the score, you know, if you're up 14 to three or something like that, but even more than that, if you're moving the ball so effectively on the ground, then you can start play action throwing. You can start digging these big boots. You can start taking shots. You can run RPOs. You can set everything else up because you've established, hey, when we want to, we can shove the ball down your throat because they haven't faced that yet. Um, and then defensively, it does the same thing where it can kind of subconsciously trick the play caller into being like, all right, scrap the run. We got to throw it because we can't move the ball against them. Or if they start hitting the quarterback because they're you know, beating, if it's pass rush, which was actually pretty good uh, against Louisiana, if your pass rush is starting to get to the quarterback, you start speeding up his decision-making process. So you can kind of put the other team in a frame of mind that says, all right, you can't do this or you have to do something against what you want if you're able to establish it early. So if you don't get that established, then the whole playbook is open. But you know, if you're first drive on defense, you get a you know, a zero yard gain, you stuff it at the, you know, stuff it at the point, you, maybe they get like a four yard completion on a quick game on second down. And then you get a sack on third down. Next drive comes out, you get sack one yard loss incompletion on a, a long down and down a distance. You've got two, three and outs. And all of that is defensive line dominating the offensive line. When they come out for their third drive or their fourth drive, they're going to be thinking quick game only, or get rid of the ball really fast, which kind of pushes off the table all the stuff that they really want to do. So it can make a difference if you establish it early. If you don't establish it early though, then it's just the whole playbook is open. It doesn't really matter. So I think there's a big opportunity to do that early and it would change a lot of things. So again, hopeful, but it's hard to know. It's hard to know with TCU what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, just the more that I think about this game, uh, I feel like Iowa State will be considerably more ready to play than what they were for game number one. I mean, I imagine that they did not have a very fun week last week. Oh, 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 and no. uh, I, I don't know if you listened to what um, Ben Bruns was on on Sports Fanatics last Monday, and, he, and obviously he was with Chris and Ross, but they talked a little bit about some of his thoughts on the game. And one of the things that he brought up was um, – how when you run an offense like what Iowa State does, how much more of it is about timing than it is like if you think about it, I mean, Iowa was the one that he used specifically where it's just when it's just kick everybody's ass, you know, it's like in physical battles and things like that and a lot less of it. And there's timing elements to it, but it's a lot more just about moving people mm -hmm. and how much easier it is to start the season when you run a thing, run an offense like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think two more weeks for Iowa State of – and for seeing how poorly they played offensively in week one, I would imagine that they were pretty zeroed in to being like, all right, we got to get this stuff figured out and because this is not acceptable. Well, and I also think um, not only was it two more weeks, because TCU had two more weeks too, but I think in the sense of, again, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And um, it also comes to, to be the, the case of, hey, you need to get to when you're uh, when you're covering us on special teams or not even necessarily the offense when you're covering on special teams you've got to get to four yards outside the returner in your coverage lane you have to and in practice it can look good because you kind of like take these little isolated drills and you're only tagging off in a returner so it, it doesn't feel the same um, and so in your own mind you can kind of justify like yeah 
you're telling me to do something, but I know that in my practice, the way that I've done it has worked. Well, when you, you kind of remove the predictability of it with practice, you now put in a context where it's, comp it's, it's necessarily competitive, then you're not doing it 100% of the way right and doing it kind of your own way doesn't work. Everyone has to do it the same way. Everyone has to do it all together. And so as an offense, then, that you take the same point. And yes, it is, it is dependent upon timing, very much so. But it also give that first week gives you an illuminator, a, a kind of, a, again, this, it should happen already, but like a credibility spark to these new guys that haven't played together all the time or have you know, potentially uh, not done it live before, like a Xavier Hutchinson of saying like, okay, this has to be done at this time, at this location, you have to release this, you, know, you must release to this side or something like that. Then there is, it kind of goes like, hey, you know what, coach? you were right. Like what I thought I was getting away with because it worked in practice, doesn't work in a game. Let's go do this thing. But to illuminate more on what Bruns was talking about, um, Iowa State likes to run with Brock Purdy, likes to run a lot of RPOs. Well, and not only just RPOs, like routes that have multiple choices on them. And so like an RPO is run, there, there's always three options. There's Half, or there's the, the, the ball carrier, whether it's the tailback or like a jet sweep or something like that, a ball carrier run, a quarterback run, or a pass. And all, so all those options are on the table. But those decisions have to be made literally that fast. Like it's not, think of it, you know, let's look at this guy, let's then look at this guy, let's look at this guy. It's boom, decision one, decision two, decision three. And you have to look from one guy to the next to the next, and in order for those decisions to be made that quickly, there have to be guys at certain spots at those exact times. So teams that, teams that run an RPO style thing uh, or an option style offense have to be able to get those spots at the right time. And you gotta be able to see how it's gonna feel with resistance. So for example, the easiest RPO that I can think of is a zone read with a slant concept behind it or a, an out route behind it. So what that looks like, let's say running back is on the left, Quarterback is standing behind the center, um, and there's a Tariq Milton is on the or Tariq Milton's to the left side, left slot. So running backs to the left, quarterbacks in the middle, receivers in the left slot. There's a two-person read that the quarterback's going to have. So on the snap, running back starts to run towards the right tackle or the the right guard. Quarterback is looking at the defensive end. If the defensive end crashes down, he it's no longer give to the running back. So that's his read number one is right away is watch what the defensive end's hips are doing. If, it, if he's chasing down the line, then it's keep pull away from the running back. And now you're on to, do I run it myself or do I throw it to the receiver? Okay, well now opt read number two. So let's say the defensive end crashes down on the running back. Then decision two is watching the linebacker. If the linebacker goes to tackle the running back as well or fill his run gap, he's moved out of the way of where the receiver is running to, and he's going to throw it to him. Then just put it on a dart. Well, in order for that to happen, again, literally it's snap, defensive end, linebacker, throw. That's literally how fast, in, in real time, how fast that decision has to go. So in order for that decision to work, the receiver has to get to that spot. The, the tackle has to take his steps in the right way to pull that linebacker down. The guard has to move in the right way to pull that linebacker down. And the quarterback has to be able to see it in full speed with that group of guys and that group of, and that receiver to, hit, to nail it right where it needs to. 
plus the receiver has to feel where that ball is going to be when and ultimately if it is thrown. So all that stuff, that timing thing has to happen uh, versus Iowa, it is C-gap run. Give it to the running back, C-gap run. There's no choice. There's no anything. It's like you're talking about kicking somebody's ass. That is our tackle is going to move your defensive lineman. We're going to run behind our tackle, like that kind of thing. So Ben is correct in saying that it does take a little bit of time for the timing to work out. And even one more example, the one that, that, I, that was really obvious was there was a, it was a third down, and we talked about the last one, is there was a third down, and Xavier Hutchinson was running what was supposed to be a, like a, uh, like a seven-step comeback where it was um, running. He's supposed to release outside, take seven steps down the field, plant on his inside foot, and turn his outside shoulder toward the quarterback, and Brock is going to put it essentially so when he does that, he's more or less boxing out the corner. So it's run to a spot, box out the corner. I'm going to put it in front of you where – if I put it in the right spot and you're there on the right time, the only thing the defender can do is pass interfere to get to the ball if we do it right. Well, in practice, you're not as amped up. Your seven steps are eight and a half yards or whatever. In a game, your seven steps, because you're all hopped up on adrenaline, even though there's no fans there, your seven steps, instead of being eight and a half yards, are like 10 and a half yards. So Brock is throwing to where practice route was. In game, you're, I'm throwing now, you're running a route, three yards past where it was. So it looked like it was a really terrible pass on that. I think it was the first third down play. It looked like it was a terrible pass from Brock, but I'm going to guess that Xavier Hutchinson just ran that on the proper steps. It just ran it three yards deep because he was taking bigger steps because he's all amped up on energy. So all that stuff, that timing thing, that that's the kind of timing stuff that needs to get practiced out. And that can really only happen in a game because you can only find out that those are problems when you actually get in live fire. For sure. All right, man. You got anything else that you want to talk about? No, I, I'm the only thing that I'm thinking of is uh, I'm excited to see the steps from week one to week two. Cause the old cliche is, you know, your biggest improvements game one to game two. Well, Iowa state has a lot of improving to do and they have an opportunity to do it because they have a quality opponent. It's big 12 time. There's like, there's no real reason, no real excuse not to say like, all right, let's go out to, instead of throwing stuff against the wall to see what, what sticks it's now let's go out to actually only run what works we know we don't need to trial anything anymore let's only run what works and they have a lot to fix so i'm curious i'm i'm curiously hopeful to see that they did improve those things and i would imagine there's a drastically different or there's a drastically improved team from week one to week two however i still would imagine there's going to be some boneheaded dumb stuff like Someone's going to miss a gap. Some there's, you know, might be a shanked punt or something like that. There's going to be some dumb stuff because practice time and, and live reps, but I don't know. I'm against a team that hasn't played a team that may or may not have a you know, quarterback that's played before and a team versus a team like Iowa state that has already gotten those reps in. I'm cautiously optimistic that Iowa state is going to be significantly better this week than they were week one. For sure. All right. We'll talk to you again on, Saturday, we'll be on the air at what? 9.30? Yeah, 9.30. 9.30 on 14.60 KXNO and 106.3 FM with the Cyclone Fanatic tailgate show powered by our friends at the Iowa Pork Producers. Dive more into the game. And then, of course, we'll have all of our other podcasts and stuff throughout the week. You're going to write a column, Jeff Woody, making his uh, Cyclone Fanatic uh, writing debut. You're now a correspondent. Wow. I feel so honored. You're basically like uh, that lady from OAN who goes to the president uh, press briefings 
and asks like softball questions. I imagine you would ask softball questions in a press conference. Yeah. Cause you know, me definitely averse to conflict. Yeah. Yeah, for, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, coach, it looked like you guys ran the, uh, ran the zone read on first and 10 there in the second quarter with uh, 12 minutes left to play. Um, why do you think that everybody is such an asshole to you when you, uh, when you guys decide <laughs> to run it on first or run it on second and long instead of throwing the ball? Something stupid like that. I don't know. So, All right, man. Okay. Uh, I see that your your coverage lanes on punt were actually pretty off. Can you explain those? <laughs> yeah, you would actually be able to ask good questions. I just need to like start screening my questions with you. Problem is, people would hate the questions that I ask because you can't get out of them. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh no, Matt Campbell would find a way. Believe me, he'd tell you he'd tell you it has to watch the film, especially if you asked it at right after the game. But mm. Mm. that's how it goes. All right, man. I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you soon. Peace.